Today I'm having another conversation with Brad Solomon from the CTG Group. I was on his podcast, The Lockdown Sessions. And this is, a once again, another rebroadcast of one of those conversations. As I've mentioned before, Brad and I don't really plan where we're going, what we're going to talk about. We just jump into the deep end of the pool. We did the same thing here again. And uh, this time we ended up in the land of what do you want and the power of getting really clear about what you want and also how difficult that can be sometimes. There's also an old episode or older episode on this topic that I did with Tina Robinson that I also highly recommend, and I will link to that in the notes. Here we go. <laughs> how are you, John? Uh, let's see. Uh, you know, I'm well. I'm well. I'm choosing to be well. You know, we've talked a few times about choosing, and I don't know if this ever happened to you, but I... You know, I I did all the right things last night to get ready for bed and get a good night's sleep. And then I couldn't fall asleep for an hour or two. And I knew that we were doing this recording. And so, you know, I was piling all this ridiculous, un, unnecessary pressure on myself that I needed to sleep well and I needed to really be... <laughs> and then... <laughs> and then <clears throat> excuse me. So then, like, seriously, and, and you all are hearing me in my best moments, my best, worst moments. I woke up not when I wanted to, and then I just said, okay, I really, uh, why did I commit to do this thing with Brad today? What was I thinking? Blah, blah, blah. And then I, at a certain point, I just chose. I said, I said, come on, man, do everything that you know to do to show up as your best, whatever you're going to be today. And you know what? After you're done talking to Brad, you're going to feel great. And even though you guys have done this a number of times and think that maybe you've run out of topics, it's not true. And so I did that. I, I did my little 10 minute meditation thing. I'm doing some gratitude journaling. I'm doing some future self journaling, which could be interesting to talk about. Oh, I, like the sound of that. I ate food. I drank water. I had coffee and here I am. And we're already headed in the right direction. That was like the most long winded. How are you doing that? I think I've ever given. Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though, I, I am... Say more about fine, Brad. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> What's I, important I, about being fine? <laughs> I am thoroughly enjoying staying up till one in the morning watching Chris Cuomo's show on CNN. Really? I find him just so engaging because there's some feigned passion about him that I, re- I really like. And yesterday he had like, or last night he had two teenagers on that have been like doing some COVID um, discoveries. You know, they're 16 and 18 years old. And uh, he's telling the 16 year old, you know, um, she's come up with some kind of test uh, that could give you an instant uh, COVID uh, result. And obviously he's showering her with praise and she's really capable an erudite and she's 16 right i mean it's amazing it was a it was a science project that just happened to fall on it but she's like basically worked her way through 798 million variations of something to come up with this you know particular thing i mean it's incredible and then he actually shared with the 18 year old who had also won some project but i don't remember him as well because he wasn't as erudite but he shared with him 
the SAT results. The, the SAT results had come in that day and the parents had shared them with Chris Cuomo, but not their son. So it was done live on air. 98% he got. Um, and honestly, he was dumbstruck. He didn't know what to say. And, like, and Chris, can, if you know him, right, he can really talk. I mean, his, his brother as a governor sounds and looks like he should be in the untouchables. Um, you know, uh, whereas Chris looks like he would be on, you know, Al Capone's side um, as well. You know, he's smooth, he's smart. He's like the James Khan from The Godfather. It just, they're such a New York family. But I, I absolutely, I love him and I love Wolf Blitzer because I just want a name like Wolf Blitzer. That is just the most fantastic TV name ever. <laughs> Do you watch Wolf at all? <laughs> no. No, I don't. <laughs> well, well, no, this is so funny. This is part of, um, so part of my future self-journaling is we've talked about not watching the news. And CNN's not news. No. <laughs> it's <been> commentary. <laughs> I know, but for some reason it had become my, my quick, well, because I had blocked all the other websites. <laughs> it was the only one that wasn't, it was the only one that wasn't on the block list. And I was like, oh, I, I'll just check CNN. Like, what? Well, just stupid, 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 stupid. So, no, I mean, I know who they are, but no, they don't do much for me. Uh, listen, talk to me about self, future self journaling. I, I've done journaling before. Um, I find it cathartic, liberating. Uh, reflectively joyful, um, interestingly sad at times when I reflect on what darker moments. I've never done future self-journaling. Give me some context. Well, the context, this is so funny. It ties to some of our earlier earlier conversations. Therapy. So this this lady, her name is Carolyn Andrews. She has a, a weekly newsletter called The Sunday Soother, Okay. And she had this blog post called, I have it right here in front of me. My favorite healing resources to help you move past talk therapy. Okay. Which caught my attention. So she has this other blog post about how she's done with talk therapy and moved on and discovered coaching. And anyway, one of her resources in there was this idea of future self journaling and using that to construct your future, whatever, or get over stuff. So for her, okay. it was a relationship. And so I was looking for some new ways to get over my, my uh, impulse and need to check the news and to see and hope. Anyway, it was just, it was just this waste of time. You and I talked about it. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, I'll try this. I'll try this exercise for 30 days and follow these prompts and see what happens. And it's, I mean, it all collides with all my other work, but it, um, what it's brought up is, so it started off with these prompts, which are like, you know, this thing I want to work on is whatever. And today I will focus on shifting my pattern of blank. I am grateful for blank. Three traits my future self will have are, the person I'm becoming will experience more. I have the opportunity to be my future self today when I blank. 
when I think about who am I becoming, I feel blank. And it's taken from someone else that I can find and send you the link to. But what it's done, it keeps peeling back the layers. So at first it was like, I'll feel better when I don't check the news. And then as it unfolded, it was like, oh, I'm doing this because I'm, I'm looking for some other way to feel better. And then I saw it in email and I saw it in scrolling social media. And, and so it's kind of emerged as this theme of, okay, where am I going to look to feel better? Which then tied into some other stuff I'm doing with my coach around worthiness and money. And, you know, if I make a certain money amount of money, that means I'm a good coach. And if a certain amount of money doesn't come in, well, do I really have it or not? And separating those two, I mean, you could probably, you probably already formed a, a clear diagnosis of me over there already. But um, yeah. there's all kinds of stuff connected. So <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, listen, six sessions and we can clear most of that stuff up. <laughs> And, uh, and based on my benchmark of what I need to earn in order to be a successful coach, I, I know what I'm going to charge you in order to hit that, that, that target. <laughs> but it's interesting, right? You know, you know that the, I, I was taken by the last uh, line of, you know, I will become my future self when I become blank. And there's almost something in that, although there's, you know, it's, it's almost humorous because obviously you fill in the blank. Um, but just with a play on words, I become my future self when I am blank. Actually, for me, there's something, I have a friend called Blanca. She's Czech. She's a dear friend for 20 years. And she always used to call herself, I'm your white friend, as in blank canvas, totally white walls, totally open to anything and there's something for me there's something in the word blank that creates complete opportunity um nothing's written i become my future self when nothing's scripted you know people talk about development plans we work as leadership coaches you know the development plan it's so scripted so structured there's five columns and four bullets and what why how and by when and and actually, people get so caught up in the what, why, how, and when they're going to do it by, that where's the maneuverability? Where's the flexibility? I spoke yesterday, John, to a woman who rode across the Pacific. It took her nine months. And there were moments that she described to me where blankness helped her. Is this the lady that wrote a book about it? Um, actually, no, because she is going to write okay. a book. So I know that she hasn't. Her name's Natalia Coe. She's actually going to appear on, on a podcast. We did a, a session together. Awesome. And it's just fascinating because she makes these links to COVID, to the world of lockdown, to how she prepared for dealing with stuff on the ocean. Nine months, nine months on the ocean with three other women um, where just the mental capacity, there was so much that they had to do that was automated and structured. And yet, you know, she told the story where for two days 
They rode, you know, they would row two hours on, two hours off for 24 hours. They rowed for two days and went backwards. In, <laughs> imagine, imagine the motivation levels, right? So when you said before you were going through, I do this when I feel blank. I do this. I become my future self when I am blank. And I thought, yes, you don't actually need to fill in the word. What would it be like if we didn't ask people to come up with all of the answers and they just were? They actually lived totally in the present. I worry, and this is my therapist hat on, I spend so much time in therapy talking about people's past. I spend all my time in coaching talking about people's future. I want a form of talk therapy. That talks about the present. So they're being. Yes. Yes. So just the the Buddhist mantra of learning to just be, to non-identify and be. Imagine how tranquil the world would be if we didn't reflect on the past, worry about the future, and live totally in the present. Well, and that's what's funny. That's what's emerging from this. Right. I will be more. No, I mean, the answers that I'm having that are evolving over the days are I will be more present. I will be more at peace. In other words, my beingness will be be better (laughs) because I'm not checking somewhere else to see if the future is going to be better or worse. Yeah. Which is what my checking and scrolling is. I've determined like that's what it's for. It's. It's to see if everything's going to be okay or not as painful as I'm hoping. Well, <laughs> it, that's, that's almost forward thinking and, and backward thinking in the same breath, right? I, I hope it's not going to be as painful as I think it is. I was away in, uh, on the Isle of Skye in the Highlands of Scotland for a week. No Wi-Fi. What a pleasure. What a pleasure. Total disconnection. And I've not been on Twitter now for since the 21st of September. I'm loving it. Every time I go there, I feel dirty. I feel, I well, like just down. Like it really brings my, uh, I probably need to like stop unfollowing certain feeds and people and stuff. But yes, there's a, I haven't been there in a while myself and there's some, I feel lighter. I feel better, but I, yes. It's, it's interesting, you know, when you're, you're saying that about, you know, the, the beings, the future looking actually helps you in, in, in the present. I find that fascinating. I've always found it really intriguing to learn from my animals. So I like watching my animals in their everyday actions to see what I can learn. You know, I, I look at my, my 17-year-old cat. I used to have three, then it was down to two. Now it's just Sonny left. And Sonny's named after Sonny Corleone, actually, from The uh, Godfather, right? Because uh, when, when he came to me, he was this big, thick, gorgeous-looking, handsome, black-and-white sort of dinner suit, fur coat, and, and just a boy. Um, and he doesn't give a you-know-what. I mean, if he could lie, he would. If he wants something, he just asks for it. 
if you're eating, he'll <laughs> he'll jump up on the table, and you won't just like you know like the dog. Dogs will sit and beg. He doesn't beg, John. He puts his paw on your plate. And you move his paw gently away and he just puts it straight back. No. And he put, he's so assertive. Whatever he wants, he, he asks for. And when he wants to go out, he stands by the door and he screams until I let him out. And he comes back when he wants. <laughs> Does not give up. And then I look at the dogs and I, I watch them when we go out. And, and I'm walking them and, and Rocky, bless him, he's a four-year-old Springer. Very handsome, but very silly. And male dogs, he obviously gives off a very nice pheromone smell, where male dogs like to investigate and sniff and lick and, and walk around him. And he just stands there so patiently until they really irritate them, irritate him. And then he just gives them a little <laughs> snarl only jogs off behind me, right? What's so interesting is that when we get home, he doesn't hold on to all that annoyance. He completely lets it go in the moment. Like, completely. If my Labrador meets a dog that she doesn't like and they have a bit of a growling session, she doesn't come home and she's all grumpy and moody and, and you know, sensitive for two and a half hours because someone upset her at the park. She's not like, she doesn't have a look on her face, which is like, why didn't that dog like me? No. She's like, where's my toy? <laughs> Gets a cuddle. <laughs> where's my bed? Put the radiator on, please. Where's the fire? There's this, this, this ability. I know that animals don't think in the same conscious way we do. And of course, there's a reason for why they are like they are. But I just wonder, in your desire, your, your thought-provoking future self-journaling, if there's room to consider more animalistic behaviours that seem to be able to shed themselves of all of our self-consciousness, which is what drives and creates our worry. Because animals, they, they don't worry in the same way. I find it fascinating. I've been observing animal behavior for years and um just try try to live more like a dog and a cat so wait i'm how would that relate to what i i'm not sure i made the connection well when you're future journaling you're thinking about what can you do to be more like this and what could you do to be more like that and maybe mm, not quite do, ah, okay well, it's more of when i'm in this future way of being that i want to be this is how my world will be. This is how I will be. This is how I will respond. And so it's, and then it's also, pardon me? It's envisioning. It's a little bit envisioning. It's a little bit, uh, the way I, it's probably like cognitive behavioral therapy. Like it's, there's probably some, I think it's CBT, maybe. Yeah. I think what it's doing is it's saying, hey, when I'm in this place in the future, these will be the benefits. These are the benefits that I'll get when I'm this way in the future. So that you're kind of like looking forward to say, this is the benefit, so I'll have it now. And what are the steps you have to make to move from thinking of your future self being like that in that space to adopting it in the moment? Well, that's one of the questions. 
today I, I have the opportunity to practice this when X occurs. So for me, I wrote down today, uh, I have the opportunity to, I call it checking and scrolling, <laughs> checking email, checking the news, scrolling Facebook. So I wrote down, I have the opportunity today when I went to check and scroll to, to I can't remember what I wrote actually, sit in my chair for five minutes or go for a walk. Or in other words, it's kind of planning ahead. I know that this behavior is going to want to kick in at certain times. And so when it does, this is who I can be. This is what I can do instead. These will be the results when I do this other thing instead. I quite like the way it kind of, it, it modifies your behavior in the present by accessing desired behavior in the future. Yes. Yes. So it's, yes. So it's a, it's a, yes. And you have to do this for, you're trying it for how long? 30 days? 30 say. days. And I'm at day 21, I think. Oh, okay. And is the feeling that you're going to continue it? Or is 30 days enough? <laughs> no, I think, I haven't even, I'm so, Brad, I'm living so much in the present, I haven't even thought about that. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> no. I I don't know. We'll see. I'm not going to worry about what I do in nine days' time by just being in the present when I'm asked those kinds of questions. And it's done. Here endeth the lesson. <laughs> I was hearing something interesting, though. You're talking about your cat and, and what you what your cat wants. That yeah. That's come up recently for me and also some as a client. Oh, my goodness. I don't know if you ever get in these. I don't know how you do agendas, but I... I request that someone send me, and I call it, send me something in air quotes the night before we meet. So yeah, yeah. It could be one sentence. Sometimes the sentence is, I have no idea what we should talk about tomorrow. Anyway, this person sent me, you know, I'm feeling this, I'm feeling this, I'm bogged down in this, this isn't working well, I should be doing this, or I need to be doing more of this. Wow. And I wrote back and I said, what do you want? And then they wrote back, is this a rhetorical question? <laughs> I said, no. I said, and I had written it, what period, do period, you period, what question mark. And I said, no. And then what I realized was maybe we were getting caught up in wants versus needs. And I just threw all that away. And I said, you know what? What is it that you really desire? What a powerful question. And set aside whether those desires are right or wrong or whether you can have them, just pure, what do you desire? And what evolved from this was this concept, I don't know where it comes from, but the idea of a reported on world versus a created world. So the agenda I got was the reported on world. It's like reading the news, all the things that are not working very well. And this, this question of what do, you, what do you desire or what do you want was really, what do you want to create? Yeah. And when we, when we move, when we, it was great because we planted these seeds over email over a couple of days. So by the time we met, like so much had been taken care of and we were already like heading in this new direction and they lit up when they started talking about what they wanted to create in these different situations as opposed to how broken it was. So I loved that. It's a great question. I, I, I have a fundamental f belief around 
how negative belief systems are for people, these shoulds, coulds, woulds, needs. And ultimately, they come from generations ago because they've just been taught down through the generations. And a lot of them are, you know, the good ones, you know, the right from wrong and, and, and you know, behaving with integrity and all of those. Those are absolutely affirmation-giving belief systems that I endorse. But the woulds and coulds and shoulds. Need to. I need to need spend to more t- time with, and I just, just, I don't know, I just pushed my buttons. I was like, do you want to? Well, I should if I'm supposed to be. I'm just like, oh, no. I would if I had more time and I'm really going to try if only I could. Do you yeah. want to? No, I really don't want to. Okay. Are you in the right job? I wouldn't ask the question that way, but it 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 really does. It really can peel back the layers and it can also be a super hard question to answer sometimes. I, I think even people listening to this, you know, not even from a coaching point of view, just purely in our, in our own relationships. Yes. The conversations with our partners, with our friends. Um, I, have a friend, <laughs> I don't see him so much anymore. Um, we've grown more distant in, in the last sort of 10 years. But when we used to hang out a lot, on a daily basis, he would call at the end of the day and whinge and moan about his boss. And I used to say to him, look, Put up or shut up, because because this is the same every day, you know. And with right. friends, I mean, as a coach, I would never say that. But why not? As a mate, well, uh, well, actually, at times I have. Um, I've, I've said to people, "Hey, you're living in a loop. Give over." You know, <laughs> what's that about? Because it is sometimes like a brick with me. But but with him, I said to him, you know, put up, put up or shut up. And you know, ultimately, he didn't want to leave this huge paying senior partner role. And he had three kids at pay, fee-paying school. And, you know, he, he couldn't afford to at this point. But he moaned and wished. And everything was, I could be doing this. And I remember one time saying to him, but, you know, mate, what do you want to do? If you could start all over again, what do you want to do? So my wife's business uh, was a creative design bespoke bunting business, which worked explicitly with events and even more explicitly with um, weddings. So you can imagine what COVID has done to her business. And to use a COVID word, she pivoted and turned all of the material she had of bunting into a mask making factory for four months until Amazon and Etsy uh, picked it up and are now selling their, you know, their own masks. But she was making bespoke masks, you know, for whatever people wanted all over the world. And we were having a conversation a couple of weeks ago and, and she was, you know, saying, oh, I don't know what I should do. And I've been running that business for 16 years. And all the belief systems were coming up. And, you know, <laughs> she helps edit all of these. So she won't thank me for telling her story. But I'm telling you, because of, because of the positive outcome, because when I said to her, we, we were away in Scotland, and when I said to her, what do you really want to do? She said, I've always loved photography. By the way, she has a brilliant eye for a picture. And it turns out during the conversation that when she was at school having a careers conversation, she was asked what she wants to do, 
and she wanted to be a, a, a photographer and was told by a teacher that girls don't go into that role. You can't be a photographer. So she went into marketing comms and the travel industry and, you know, she built a career until she had a family and then set up on her own so she could be around with her kids. So she's now set up, you know, she bought a monster beast of a camera and she's moving into kind of pet photography because animals are a big love of ours. And we're going out at weekends and we're going to forests and woods and we're taking pictures of dogs and inviting our friends to bring their dogs along to take. And she's so engaged and so excited. And she spends hours, you know, we go out for a couple of hours and she'll spend twice as long editing the pictures. She met her daughter from uni the other day. She's doing an open university course in it to get, you know, some actual you know, credibility behind the brand. John, she's so happy. And I said to her the other day, you know, when I compare your enthusiasm for what you're doing compared to what you were like taking in your orders for bunting or masks, and, and it all was raised from one question, what do you really want? Because if people can tap into their passions and their talent, it won't ever feel like work. I mean, that's a coach's dream, right? Yeah, and I can I can hear though some people listening to me like, oh well, that's nice for her. You know, I my situation's all different. You guys are talking about what you want and what I want. There's no way, there's no way I could possibly have it. <laughs> to which I would come back with, okay. If you want to live into that story, it will become true. Nothing will change. And is there a smaller little, is there a smaller essence of that that you could at least start on? So maybe it isn't buying a massive camera and like just going all in and it all working as well as you're describing, but maybe it's a little tiny something that you build over time. Yeah, let's be clear about it. There are no clients yet. Oh. <laughs> one, actually, one person has, has, has ordered a print from on you know the online shop but there's no there's not 400 clients lining up to do pet portraits this is not about the success of it Ooh. the success of it is absolutely irrelevant and has never been discussed huh. this is all about reaching a point where the world has thrown a curveball and taking it as an opportunity to truly tap in to what somebody really wants to do, to give them a fulfillment, a happiness, so that every day when they get up, they're doing what they want to do, not because it earns them the salary, not because they're grieving, by the way, still for a business that had 16 years of blood, sweat, sacrifice and tears, that was thrown to the wolves by COVID, <laughs> you know, 50 weddings planned for the year, two were done in March and 48 got cancelled. Whoa. I mean, there's your business plan out the water. There's no point having a, an individual development plan because on March the 23rd in the UK, that went to pot. And so, yes, pivot, <laughs> in inverted commas, 
make good in a difficult time. And then when you realize this is sustaining itself and life isn't going to be anything other than different now, don't wait for a new normal, whatever that is. It's different. So live with the volatile, uncertain landscape and say, it's a perfect opportunity for all of us. You know, there are hundreds of people who will be listening who might have been furloughed, who have lost their job, who are thinking about, you know, organizations of downsizing, restructuring, reorgs. It's actually the perfect time. And, and I think as coaches, one of the things I find both humbling and influential in is that we have an opportunity when we work with people to help them tap into that, that their true heart's desire. And I'm not talking in a Disney way, your true heart's desire, go and sing a song in the forest with birds tweeting in you. No actually to take an honest look and say what do i want to do every day right like, really what do i want to do right and will that make me feel well and i've always you know i've always loved what i do and i know there are hard moments where it's tough because the, the agenda looks brutal but there isn't a day in the last 20 years where i thought god i hate what i do <laughs> you're lucky you're i would say you're extremely fortunate well and when i hear that my my comeback to that is am i or did i have a great coach when i was 30 who asked me the right question because i can tell you what john between 2000 and 2012 when i was building a business i didn't have the trappings of effective success there was blood sweat tears and sacrifice and there still is it's i don't think it's luck and i don't think it's just hard work and i don't <laughs> think it's just being good it's it's everything but it's driven by a passion to do something that i love and that makes it really easy to commit to and someone helped you early on they opened my eyes when I was 30 years old and, and I still remember them saying to me, Brad, I don't care what answer you give me. It's no skin off my nose whether you lie or tell me the truth right now. But I'll ask you again, what do you really want? Dang. We sat in silence, John, for 10, 15, 20 minutes. I can still remember the session. It was absolutely crucial in my development as a as a businessman as a as an individual uh, as a human being because he just stared at me and said i don't care what you do mate so you can bs me you can tell me a story or you can be brutal with yourself what do you want and from that moment that little seed he threw on the floor for me he let me water it mm-hmm. and I can still remember leaving his apartment in Pimlico and sitting in this little garden in London and sitting in this garden outside his flat for about an hour, reflecting on the conversation. And John, I don't mind sharing vulnerability with you. I cried. Hmm. And they weren't tears of sadness. They were tears of recognition. They were tears of release. It was the most impactful conversation I'd ever had and from that moment it inspired me to want to have those kinds of conversations with people that 20 years later I can still recall it 
as if I was watching myself go through it. I even choked a little bit there as I remembered it. So when you say, you know, that there might be people listening going, yeah, but that's not my life, that's not my situation. Of course it's not. Because that was mine. And the story I told before about my wife, that's Emma's. This is, this is their story. So what story are they telling themselves? And what story do they want to be in? Because what we focus on grows. We just have to turn our attention to it. Mm-hmm. And then, depending on your belief system, if you have this, well, I should be earning this much or I should be doing this much, well, then, of course, you put limitations on. And let's also be clear, a number of us have responsibilities and we have outgoings and we have commitments that don't allow me just to pack everything in and follow my dream of being a busker. <laughs> Brad, I want to play guitar every day for the commuters. Okay. Right, right, right. (laughs) I don't know what to make of that. I want to be a songwriter. Okay, well, good luck. I don't know if there's an Ivan Novell Award in your future, but write songs. (laughs) And that's where I would pull on the essence of it. Okay, so what is it about being a busker that is appealing to you? Well, I get to be, you know, I get to be outside. I get to do whatever I want when I, like, in other words, you can pull on those different, threads to potentially get to something and maybe all it gets to john is a recognition that where i'm at isn't actually what i want and it might even be that i don't quite know yet what i want you know i have to be a professional footballer but it's just simply too late for me (laughs) i mean a lack of skill also <laughs> gets in the way because the different the gap between what I want and what I, I'm actually capable of doing is not always, you know, <laughs> a line. The key to asking this question that I found for myself is there there can't be any filters. There can't be any buts mm-hmm. or not. In other words, I don't know. That's why for some reason this word desire it feels pure. It feels than want. I don't know why, but I, I've been playing with that. But just, um, yeah, it's what do you desire? What do you want? Maybe write it down. And and again, no, like, but I can't. But just just the yeah, the purity of it is weird. The juices. It's interesting, isn't it? Human beings are the only kind of animal that puts blockers in its way as soon as it <laughs> oh my gosh it's so true well i don't know but if they're what other animals do but <laughs> this animal <laughs> he's good at it <laughs> but, no, but they do you know i mean again watching animals so if i'm in the forest and I, I'll, I'll be watching the deer let's say and they come across a fence and the fence looks pretty insurmountable but they find a way through. It doesn't. It doesn't get in the way of them moving forward. You've they never find... seen a, a deer with slumped shoulders. Oh, <laughs> oh no, no! What am I going to do? <laughs> no, exactly. They don't look around. And go, How are we going to get out of this one? No, <laughs> they just do. <laughs> it's almost as if we're designed 
to beat ourselves up for no other reason than to keep ourselves restricted. And that, I'm not trying to be the eternal optimist. I'm not trying to portray myself as some kind of, you know, uh, evangelical optimist. Because I can be as dour as the next person, right? But as a general rule, when I look at what I want, it's normally an instant trigger of honesty that comes out. And it's required practice. Actually, you know, you were saying, you know, maybe write it down. I would go one step further before writing it down. I would ask and invite people to just hear themselves say out loud, maybe on their own. Because it makes it really real when you say it to somebody else, by the way. I think that's where coaches play a part. But sometimes people are even frightened to say it out loud to themselves. I want you, I hate my job, do you? Have a conversation with yourself. It's a a gestalt theory of of psychotherapy, right? Where you converse with yourself. You ask yourself the question and then you give yourself the answer. You give yourself permission, right? To to give yourself the answer. I did that with my... (laughs) (laughs) Go on. (laughs) Well, no, I did that. Well, I have two thoughts. I lost the first one. The second one was, I've done this with my coach. Where I sent him my like my agenda, here's what I want. And and it was so awesome. He's he wrote back, he goes, he goes, and what do you think I would answer to this? <laughs> and I created I created this whole hilarious dialogue. Like it was a couple pages long of the three or four things that I was gonna bring to the session. He was like, and what do you think I would ask on this? And I was like, oh. And then I was like, and John would say, and I created this whole back and forth conversation, and by the end, it was hilarious and true. And had just peeled back a whole other layer that when we met, we went in a completely deeper, different direction. Yeah. But what are you talking about before that? People saying out loud, answering their own question out loud because of a fear of actually being honest with themselves. Yes. And I I was going to take it in a slightly different direction, which was this daily writing. This is where I got on this idea and saw the power of the daily writing was, I think for 10 or 15 days... I would set a timer for 15 minutes. I would open my journal and I would just say, I want, and I would just start writing. No no thought, just writing. Just write for 15 minutes. And the goal is when you're free writing, at least, is not to stop. You just keep writing. And it's weird. It works. I mean, stuff usually comes. It was, the rule was 15 minutes, you have to sit in the chair and either write or do nothing. And it all started off by, I want this person I'm working with to not be such a jerk, you know, and it just, you know, it was just, it was, and then it was fascinating by the end of the 10 or 11 days, it was no longer about this person that I was so frustrated with. It was more about softer things that I wanted. And it was, it was, yes. So there's something about this repetitive daily prompting and how it more, like, I don't know, does your therapy background inform this at all? Yeah, so um, it, it creates habitual behaviors. I mean, what you're doing is you're creating neuropathways in, in, in your head that get used to the idea of expression. And most people, when they start to, to talk, um, like real honesty, yes. um, it becomes addictive. So most people who are in therapy tend to talk to anybody who will listen and love to share their experience of their therapy session. Okay. 
Um, and what therapy does is it, it obviously creates new neuro pathways where people suddenly realize that the honesty and the vulnerability that comes with truly unlocking what's going on inside is not only healthy and liberating, it's actually really powerful with regards to living your best version of yourself. So when we write, it's an extra layer because you kind of are committing to what you're writing. There's a commitment there of this is what I said. So you can actually go back and check, wow, I, I, I said that. I, you know, am I, am I doing that? You can hold yourself to account. And the other part of journaling, which, of course, on a habitual basis, what it does is you get into a rhythm. And actually what you can start to see is probably themes arising. Mm -hmm. When you first start to say free writing, it probably takes a moment for it to come. And, you know, maybe the first few sentences is, is a little bit less formulaic and then suddenly it comes. By the time you're going back for day 28, you open up that journal. I imagine, because I, I haven't sustained it beyond the experimentation of understanding the process. You, my understanding is you should be able to open up and just start writing. I mean, that's why people keep diaries, right? To, to reflect that. Yeah, and it's coming to me. No, and it's so funny. This is the same experience that I'm currently having. And this other one I'm describing, I think, was 10 years ago. It started off being about all the stuff outside of me. Mm -hmm. This person's a jerk. Why won't they change? And it became much more internal about me and what's going on with me. And so same with the news. This all started about the news and what's going on outside there. And it's it's becoming more about like what's really going on inside here. Well, uh, I I think that's lovely. Um, and and actually, there's there's a part of me when I listen to you that thinks what that journaling does is it gives people a private space to peel away the layers. Yeah. Michael Palin from Monty Python. I've always loved his travel logs. And since the late eighties, I've read his books. I've seen him live do sort of, you know, sit on a stage for three hours with 20 pictures and tell stories. I mean, he's just a great raconteur. And he travels the world and he's made great shows about traveling the world. And he says something really interesting. He's doing a, like a reflection program at the moment, four episodes where his four big travelogues over the last 20 years, he's going back and he's revisiting his diaries and kind of talking through how he thinks now when he looks back on the experience with some video footage as well as the diary writing. And he said something that's kind of, coming up now for me as I'm listening to you, which is the reason why he writes a diary whenever he travels anywhere is because the likelihood is he won't go back there and he wants to remember how he felt and what he experienced. Hmm. When I'm listening to you. I'm thinking, you know, every day passes and every day is a new experience that we won't get to relive and I want to remember how I felt or what I experienced on that day because it brings it to life. So if I write on it as a journal, I can go back and really see the themes that happen over 
what I've experienced over a week, over a month, over a year. And similarly with the the future journaling, I'm sensing as well, as you look back over your month's worth of future journals, you probably get a really good insight into how you want to be and whether or not those behaviours as you're writing them are actually being adapted, giving you those kind of coping mechanisms to short circuit the challenges when they fly in the face of, you know, your day. (laughs) Well, it's funny. That's maybe I haven't ever been one to go backwards. That's the new thing I guess I'm seeing. So this past weekend I had some open time and I did sit and kind of flipped backwards. Normally, journaling is dark and oh everything is bad and I just want to get it out and it's cathartic and I want to feel better I don't really journal like that anymore so there's something different about this where where yes going backwards is kind of interesting but in I almost think that sometimes it's the process of it's the act of writing and that's the only value that I'm looking to it but I mean I have I've saved all these things too so Maybe in my later years, <laughs> they, they will be useful. I, I don't know. I don't know. Look, I, I, I don't think we should become so solipsistic uh, and self-absorbed no. that you, you get caught up in, you know, you get lost up your own backside. I mean, yeah. that, that, <laughs> no help at all, is it? Um, and and that, that's a risk attached to this stuff. Uh, yes. And, um, I'm honest yeah. about it. You know, as, as, as someone who practices, as a, as a psychotherapist, I sometimes say to people, listen, don't get too self-absorbed. That way lies madness. Well, that's what was fascinating in this article by Catherine Andrews was she said her, her feeling was that therapy had kept her too much in her head. Yeah, I hear that. And too intellectualized. Now, granted, I think she said she had gone for 10 years. Wow. Which to me is a long time to go to therapy. But yeah, so she felt that it, it had everything had become very intellectualized, but as she was moving to coaching, she was moving more into her heart and living from her heart. And I would say that's definitely the path I'm on, which is I want to make the journey more from my head to my heart. It's better down there, at least for me. <laughs> well, and, and maybe, you know, part of me, when I hear that, there's two things that spring to mind. One is it's like the eternal battle between intellect and will, head and heart. Um, and, Maybe it's about balance. My uh, my mum's yeah. <laughs> late father, very cool man. He was a doctor of divinity and philosophy. He suffered under the Nazi regime. Uh, he had a child in his mid-40s, so quite late in life for, you know, 70 years ago. I remember one time he said to me, I was probably six, because he passed when I was eight. And I was a very pensive kid, right? And he used to say to me, Brad, you need to make a decision. Contented pig or discontented professor? Which one are you? And the contented pig was the one who would live in the present and be really happy rolling around in muck. And that was the eight-year-old boy I showed the picture of, you know, last time we chatted. Right. And then you've got the discontented professor who worries about stuff and is everybody okay? And the world and the weight is on my shoulders. And although that was his perspective, so I value and respect it, I think it's not uh, either or. The world isn't binary. 
Now I hear a little yin and yang there. <laughs> yeah. And so maybe, you know, from a, from a balanced point of view between head and heart, if we're too stuck in our head, we need to find the path to our heart. Yes. If we're too yes. stuck in our heart, we might need to find the path up the other way. <laughs> well, and knowing when to use which one or, or, or the balance between both. Yes. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's like, I have a friend. She won't thank me for this. I've already given away her gender. Um, and she will give the same amount of contemplation and thought to buying a painting at an antiques fair that costs $20 as she would to buying a house. <laughs> you know, and it's just, it's, it's too much. So, you know, we would go to like an antiques fair and she would stumble across this, you know, trinket. And 45 minutes later, I am so bored because, you know, she's still deciding whether or not to buy it. It's $3. If you don't like it, give it to a charity shop. <laughs> Do you have to give the same intensity of think? Because she's so in her head. Whereas... In that moment, I trust my heart. I really like the look of it. It's pretty, it's blingy, whatever it is, buy it. If I've wasted my $3, suck it up, Brad. <laughs> Could there be values operating there too, though? No doubt. <laughs> I'm relating to her, her, her way of being. <laughs> yeah, but it's that. Do we need to spend, so, so my perspective, do I need to spend the same intention on everything? So when we talk about how do you find the way to your heart, as someone who was in my head, after, you know, I, I shared with you last time, you know, after meningitis between the ages of 12 and, and 30, I was really caught in my head. I lost the, the way to touch my heart. I had to refind it with, when Charles asked me, you know, what do you really want? Why, why are you paying me every week, Brad? It, 18 years I spent completely trapped, and it still took probably eight to 10 years to really find that balance because you have to swing the other way, right, in order to get there. So I'd had, you know, first 12 years, totally heart-driven. Next 18 years, totally head-driven. Next 10 years, finding a balance and pure happiness and comfortable authenticity, all that stuff from about age 40. So it's a long journey. It's a long journey, right? Yes. Yeah. But, and the reason why I say but is in order to find that path, you've got to be honest with yourself. So if you can't answer that question, what do I really want? What makes me happy? Hey, people in relationships, John, here's one for you to, um, ruminate on why why is it so many people stay in relationships that they know are wrong that they can share with their friends is wrong that they know gives them no healthy balance and yet they stay well my responsibility is giving them something it could be giving them, in other words, it could be giving them security mm -hmm. so at the expense of something else. And right. the expense so could be very, very high. 
Right. So in, in answering that question, you get to the crux of what's the payoff? So yes. if I'm going to be completely honest with myself, what's the payoff here? Mm-hmm. So is my happiness valuable to me? Or do I sacrifice my happiness for all those other needs? Mm-hmm. And that, for me, is how you find the balance between the head and the heart, is recognizing what the needs are, what the wants are, and then thinking and playing with the payoff. But unless people can be honest and really are, and it's hard. I think it's really hard to say out loud what I really want. And mm-hmm. I'm not talking about, you know, do you want pizza or Chinese tonight for takeaway, right? Yeah. You can't decide, don't worry, we can have the other tomorrow. Because there, there are, you know, I don't know about you, but uh, there are people in my own social circle years back, I can still remember, you know, you'd be with a group of people, we're going to have a takeaway. And the host of whoever's house we're in, you know, gets out there, take, opens their takeaway drawer and brings out the pizzas, the Thai, the Chinese, the curry, puts it all on the table. What do we fancy? Now, actually, we could all have something different. We don't all have to have the same thing. And then there's, there's people, oh, well, I don't mind. What does everyone want? And I'm like, I've got the taste for pizza. Okay, let's have pizza. And then when the pizza comes, they're like, oh, I really had the taste for Chinese. Well, say it then. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'd have been quite happy with Chinese. <laughs> yes, that first step is super critical or the rest of it just falls apart. Being yeah. super honest. Which comes back to the four agreements and being impeccable with your word. <laughs> of your bridge there. Help me understand from your point of view, though, because I've shared loads of anecdotes. How do you make that step into complete honesty? Like you put, I, I hate to throw a, a coaching question right at you because I'm asking you to be vulnerable now. How, how do you get there? I feel like it comes kind of naturally. I, I, and, and maybe also creating the space for it too. And by creating the space for it, I would say, being intentional and specific about who I'm picking. If I've had a meeting or two with someone that I don't resonate with, maybe it's a coach, maybe it's a therapist, (laughs) deciding that I really know for myself that this just isn't the right person and moving on to find another person that's a better... So it's... And even in that is trusting myself and being honest. I don't have a connection with this person. Someone was asking me the other day, how do I pick a coach? I was like, find someone that you really like to be with (laughs) that has something that you want and that you believe can help you and have that experience. And if you're not having that experience before you're paying, then don't, don't hire them. Go like, keep looking. So yeah, to come back to your question, how do I be honest I would come back to it's removing the buts and the qualifications. I really want, but I really want this, but this person is that way. It's, it's removing all that stuff. And that's where, again, if you're meeting with a coach or a therapist, you can say it all out. 
If you're not and you have a blank piece of paper in the privacy of your own space, write it down. That, that would be a first step to just make it come alive. And I would add a layer onto that of saying, once you've written it down, read it out loud. Ooh. Say it. Ooh. Yes. Always helped me qualify my honest wants. When I say it, when I hear myself say it, because it becomes my new story then. Mm -hmm. I can hear if it sounds true. Sometimes Mm -hmm. the way we write and the way we speak is quite different. And I'll write something down and then I'll say it out loud. It's like, that's not what I'd say. That doesn't sound right at all. Mm. You know, even in conversation sometimes, you know, I'll have a conversation and I'll say something and, uh, and I realize it's like I want to pull it back straight away. Um, I think I shared with you before I did a podcast with my friend Shalev and uh, Shalev's 33, he's autistic and he's hydrocephalic so he, he was born with an enlarged brain uh, so he has a special need from a learning disability perspective but he also has forms of autism which put him very high on the spectrum. So there are moments which are challenging for him in life, um, but he lives in sheltered accommodation. He's cared for. He has a job. He is able to go out on his own. (laughs) And the honesty and freedom in which he's able to express himself at times is just so beautiful. And I that filter is not there. Correct. Correct. It's so beautiful. So I'll be on the phone to him. And it's interesting because... He'll put a filter on with authority. Example, I'll call him to his house and the um, person who's on call that night will say, oh, hey, Brad, yeah, I'll go and get him. Uh, Listen, he's having a tough day. He's saying something's going on, but he won't share. And then I'll come on the phone. Hey, mate, I'm going to chat, chat, chat. We'll talk football for a bit. I'll say, hey, listen. What's going on today? Oh, I can't get hold of my dad. You know, he'll just tell me everything that's going on. No filter. Just verbal diarrhea. Out it comes. And it's so beautiful because, <laughs> you know, he'll call me up and he'll say things like, like, it's coming up to his birthday. So he'll just call me up and he'll say, oh, hey, Brad, how are you? I'm fine. And he'll always ask how the dogs are and how the family are. And then he'll say, Brad, so... Can I ask you something? I'm like, of course. He goes, could you take me to Edinburgh for my birthday, please? Talk about being clear about what you want. Right? Straight in. I'm like, well, yeah, why not? Let's, let's do it. Let, let's go. Let's, let's book it. I threw that um, out as a challenge to someone recently, too, which was ask me for, ask me for what you want. Yeah. Like, ask me for what you want. I can say yes. I can say no. I can say something else. Yeah. That's like it's, but I think that's what people are looking for. And I've experienced this like in a, co- in a coaching relationship. Deep down inside, you want that brutal honesty truth. Because that's what moves you forward. And maybe that's the difference, right? Because therapy often looks back and coaching looks forward and it's the fundamental difference. Yeah, and I guess what I'm saying is my experience is, is back to your thing of the present. <laughs> it's being told what, and my coach does it, in a, he, he's an artist in this. He'll, he'll say something like, would you like to hear a hard truth? 
that might not be the truth, but it's just what I'm seeing in this moment. <laughs> and I'll be like, okay. And then it'll just be like, bam. And, then, and like, okay, you know what? If I'm really, really honest, the 90% of that is true. This other 10% that's totally misguided, whatever. But yes, that's hard to hear and something I need to do something about. Do you need to or do you want to? Oh, bam. I love it. Yeah, that would be his next question. (laughs) And then he would say, and your life is never going to change until you get really clear on what you want. Yeah. Uh, and I think maybe that's a, a perfect uh, pause point uh, today because I, I kind of think that that's almost the title of our episode. Life will not become clear until you can express exactly what it is you want. Full stop, end of story, no equivocation. <laughs> In my mind is wanting to find some exceptions, but I'm going to leave it. <laughs> I can't. It's so funny. I love these, Brad. Like, and to anyone listening and watching, we do absolutely zero, zero, <laughs> zero planning for these. And it's just amazing. Again, I, I busted myself in the beginning by telling myself a story like this was finally going to be the time when this didn't work. But the key is, like any good coaching session, as a coach and a client, you just show up fully to what's there. And it's amazing yeah. what can unfold. So thank you. No, and, and I appreciate it because the one thing I, I probably wouldn't respond well to is if you sent me an email two days ago saying, what are we going to be talking about on uh, Tuesday? Because I'd be like, I don't know. Ask me on Tuesday, ding dong. <laughs> Come on, dude, just, you know, say hi and let's take it from there. <laughs> Thanks for listening to The John Polster Show. Notes, links, and all that other good stuff for this episode are at johnpolster.com slash podcast. Send your questions, ideas, or a simple hello to podcast at johnpolster.com. Want to stay up to date on new episodes and receive notifications of upcoming events? Register your email address at johnpolster.com slash updates. <laughs>